Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Believe in the Jaguars podcast. I am your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire of USA Today, Mr. James Johnson. Jay, it is good to hear from you. Good to talk to you about some football amidst all this craziness. And uh, this is going to be a really fun episode, I think. Yeah, man. Glad to be back, man. And and talk about uh we're going to do another positional preview don't want to spoil everything but going to do a positional preview uh stay tuned to find out exactly what that is um and yeah like you said man it's a crazy time right now in america uh but nonetheless we've done our part at least i feel like we have done our part to continue to provide jags fans and the nation you know with some content and entertainment throughout the process yeah, absolutely. We're coming off our episode last week with NFL insider Ian Rappaport. And if you guys haven't checked that one out, he uh, gave us a lot of information and uh, even some information that made a little bit of some some headlines all over the place. So shout out to Cincinnati.com for talking about our interview with Ian, where he discussed, you know, some options at quarterback that maybe we weren't necessarily thinking of. Um, so yeah, that was it. Was pretty cool to see our names <laughs> out there uh, in the on the uh, on the internet and um, you know in, in different articles. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, as Jay said, we got a couple of really really interesting topics here. Starting with the positional breakdown, we'll get to that here in just a moment. Before we do, want to make sure that uh, in, in, and also give a shout out to those of you who have gone on to Apple Podcast and left us five star reviews and and also comments. And man, we really appreciate it. That is one of the very best ways you can support the show. And we'll get into another here towards the end. So make sure you stick around to the very, very end. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe. And of course, as I mentioned, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. We're also on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And of course, we're part of that wonderful Believe library at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. So um, also, if you are interested in advertising the show, please contact Believe at believe.com and we are still uh you know looking for a uh, looking for a sponsor for the show so without further ado we will move into our next positional breakdown uh we have gotten through the quarterbacks we have done running backs and we have done wide receivers so of course the next group will be offensive line which of course isn't the sexiest topic or the sexiest position however the guys in the trenches are pretty much uh, right there as far as importance and we'll go over essentially who is uh, who's currently on the roster and who finished out the season as far as starters as well as backups. And then Jay will discuss uh, maybe some kind of uh, options we may go through in terms of the draft or maybe if there's anybody out there via trade or free agency that they still may look at in the future. But as far as the 2019 starters, we had, of course, Cam Robinson, who started 14 games at left tackle, and Will Richardson, who started two. Uh, and then left guard, Andrew Norwell, center, Brandon Linder, right guard, A.J. Can, and right tackle, which rookie, Jawan Taylor, all started 16 games on the line. Uh, as far as uh, other other names we have there, uh, Tyler Shatley, Cedric Aboye, um, Ben Ajalana, 
Tyler Gaither, Donnell Green, Blake Hans, Casey McDermott, Ryan Pope, and Brandon Thomas. Now, not 100% sure of those names who are still on the active roster as of right now, uh, but those are guys that either uh, spent you know most of the season or the entire season with the Jaguars. So, Jay, you know, offensive line has been something I think we've been trying to address for a very long time. I know with Andrew Norwell, that is a name, you know, that's a guy we brought in after the 2017 season who we thought would make a huge difference. I think I'm not speaking for just myself when I say he's been a bit of a disappointment considering how much money we've given him. Brandon Linder, uh, I think probably one of the more uh, consistent guys, uh, of course, started at, I believe he was at guard before he moved over to center. And then we got guys on the outside like Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor, who we hope will continue to trend positively, uh, specifically Jawan Taylor. And then uh, AJ can we've talked about in length in the past. And if you guys have listened to us over on the Jags den before we came over to believe uh, we've pretty made it, we've made it pretty clear how we feel about AJ can. So Jay, just a, a quick overview of the offensive line from 2019. Yeah. So when you look at this group from left to right, uh, Cam Robinson, who, you know, we drafted three years ago, uh, you know, he's been kind of hit or miss at the left tackle position. Uh, which we'll talk about uh, when we discuss, you know, some draftees that maybe could help out there. But, yeah, that's a position they probably want to look at in terms of uh, getting somebody there. Don't know that they will necessarily do it because the Jags regime has kind of proven to be kind of stubborn uh, when it comes to moving on from a player. And, I, I, well, in, I'll say this, in Cam's place or Cam's place, they necessarily don't have to move on from him. They can get somebody at left tackle and kick him in the guard, which, uh, you know, I think he he might actually flourish it, but that's just a personal opinion of mine. I know, yeah, sure, he hasn't played it before, uh, this, that, and the other, uh, but, you know, that's a guy that could either be protecting Gardner Minshew's blind side this year or maybe moving in. We'll see. Uh, Andrew Norwell, you already pretty much expressed uh, what most people think about him. Now, I'll say this now. I don't think he's been as bad as others have been. It's just that that contract that he's making, you know, he hasn't lived up to it uh, in, in terms of being the highest paid guard at the time, at least. I'm sure somebody has surpassed that right now. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I think his cap hit is in the range of like six to nine million or something like that. So, you know, he's sticking around and ba- basically you just have to treat the left guard spot as if, hey, that's Andrew Norwell's this year. And I don't see anybody playing at left guard uh, unless, you know, and we'll knock on wood that that doesn't happen. An injury happens. uh, Then maybe somebody could replace him. Um, Then moving on to the center position where Brandon Linder is uh, arguably the jazz best offensive lineman on the team. So uh, you would think he's going to stay there at center, but you know what I'm saying? If they could get, uh, and I've mentioned this, like uh, a Lloyd Cushenberry to maybe uh, step in at center uh, from LSU, he's been very good this offseason, had a very good senior bowl. Uh, maybe they could kick Linder over to one of the guard spots, which, you know, Linder was a, a pretty good guard as well earlier in his tenures, uh, tenure. So that's something to watch going forward. But regardless, you got to think Brandon Linder's going to be on this roster and the leader of this offensive line heading forward and probably a team captain. Uh, AJ can, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Uh, don't understand like how he stuck around so long. Um, but nonetheless, you know, he is one of the guys that has arguably the most experience on the team aside from Linder uh, in terms of being with the Jaguars. And then Jawan Taylor, as you said, he was a guy that 
We drafted him high in the second round last year. You know, he struggled with some penalties. I think he's like one of the leaders in penalties in terms of the league last year. And it was like upwards of 12 to 15, somewhere in that range. Oh, So he was one of the most penalized linemen, if not the most penalized linemen in football. However, uh, he at the end of the season, he started to put it together, in my opinion, and he started to play better. He cut down on the penalties. Uh, he showed a lot of promise. And he's a guy that I'm optimistic about in terms of being a nucleus for not only the offensive line, but for just the the offense in general. So he's the name to watch heading forward. I think he makes a big step next year. And I think, you know, he could be the right tackle for this team for years to come. But yeah, that's how I view the starting offensive line of those two spots. Just to reiterate, I do believe that changes need to be made probably at the right guard spot and the left tackle spot. So, so that brings us to the next part of this topic here, Jay. And is if there are, do you think there are any upgrades that are going to be made in the draft? Now, specifically, you know, with those two picks in the first round, of course, we have talked in depth with that with uh, with a lot of people. With, of course, with uh, Jordan from the Draft Network, and then of course with Ian Rappaport last week. And, and Jay, I remember, I think a couple of weeks ago, you said that you liked Andrew Thomas uh, a little bit more than some of the rest of these guys. Is there something that separates Andrew Thomas that you prefer to have him uh, over a Tristan Wirfs or even like a Makai Becton? Is it a a thing that where you just don't think Wirfs and Becton are not going to be there at nine? Or do you, do you like Thomas a little bit better uh, for, for, for Jacksonville specifically? Well, for me, well, you know, I'm a Georgia fan, so I know a lot about Thomas, Uh, but the thing it's more so, the reason why I gravitate towards Thomas for the Jaguars is because of basically their drafting resume and what they like. You look at their resume, they love big offensive tackles and they like big offensive linemen from the SEC. You see uh, A.J. Cann is one at guard. Uh, Cam Cam Robinson is one at, at left tackle. Uh, it's, it's one more on there that's just, oh, Jawan Taylor, of course, who we got last year. So they like those big Offensive tackles, those guys in the six five range in terms of height, you know, those guys that's in in the the range of three hundred and five to upwards pounds, three hundred fifteen, three hundred twenty type pound guys, and, and I mean, you know, you could say Makai Beckton fits that mold too, certainly as well. Uh, but when you compare the body of work that Thomas and and the the players that he's going against, as opposed to Beckton, and even worse, you know, the body of work is just different in terms of the talent that he's going against over those guys. And I think that's why the Jaguars gravitate towards, uh, you know, those type of linemen, those SEC guys. Although, you know, they do have Brandon Linder, who came from the ACC. Uh, they they also have um, Norwell, who I believe, I think he came from Ohio State, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, that's not necessarily the case that they'll go that way, that route. But I'm just saying, if you're looking at trends and what Dave Caldwell likes, then that's a trend to be very, very mindful of when it when it comes to offensive linemen. That makes a lot of sense. And again, in, in previous episodes, we have talked about how specifically at nine, you know, and if they're uh, if he is around, we would prefer to have a guy like Derek Brown or a Javon Kinlaw or trade up and go get one of those top notch defenders in Okuda or um, Isaiah Simmons. Now, if they stand packed at nine, stand, or sit tight there. Uh, do you believe that, you know, if one of those guys, if Andrew Thomas is in the board, do you think they go with him at nine or uh, if if that's, a you know, they they identify that as a position of great need? Or do you think maybe they try and wait around till 20 and see if uh, who's left as far as those offensive linemen go? 
Well, it depends. It depends on how the board falls to them. Um, I think, yeah, offensive tackle is, I'll say this. I think if an offensive tackle is the best option at nine, I think they'll want to trade back, which we've, you know, we've read about and heard speculations that, you know, they do want to trade back. So I don't think like they necessarily want to go offensive tackle there, but if they do, if they can't find a suitor to trade back with, then I think it's probably, you know, of all of all these guys, I think it's probably going to be probably Andrew Thomas just best based off the resume. Now, look, Jedrick Wills is another one. He's another uh, Alabama offensive tackle that could be an option there for them. Um, but in terms of if they want him to play tackle, he doesn't fit the threshold or the mold they like in terms of height. If I'm not mistaken, he's around the six, four range in terms of height, which is not short by any means, but. You know, you look at like Jawan Taylor, you look at Cam Robinson. I think they are individually six, six and six, five. You know, that's that's kind of what they they target. So, you know, Beckton kind of fits that role, although he comes from the ACC, if I'm not mistaken. So Beckton's a guy that fits that role. Uh, I think uh, Worfs would probably if they went with Worfs personally, I think they would probably more so view him as a guard. But. Then again, you know, they could put him at, try him out at left tackle, but he doesn't have a lot of experience there at left tackle. So um, just to reiterate everything I said, pretty much, I do think that they would prefer to go probably receiver or like you said, one of those elite defenders, Jeff Okuda, Simmons, Brown, uh, maybe even Kinlaw, as opposed to taking the tackle there. But if they can't get out of there and they're stuck there and the offensive tackle is, you know, one of their top rated guys, then it's probably going to be Andrew Thomas, in my opinion. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you there, Jay. I, I don't think that offensive tackle is something they'll address at nine. And I don't even necessarily think it'll be something at 20. I think they may look for something maybe later on in the draft. But again, it's as you said, it really just depends on how their board falls. And maybe they, if they really do value a guy like an Andrew Thomas or Makai Becton or maybe somebody is there that they don't expect to be. I mean, everything can change who, who knows, but you know, we are, we also talked a little bit about, you know, Andrew Norwell and then AJ can, who is a guy like, like we said, is just kind of baffling that he stuck around. We were pretty surprised that the team brought him back last off season. So is there anybody at guard, which is something that, you know, I haven't really been looking into admittedly as much as I have with offensive tackle, but is there a guy at guard you think they may target if probably not maybe in the first round, but maybe later on in the draft, like in the second or third day? Yeah, I think, it's definitely an opportunity to add a guard either in the third round or even outside of the third round. And I'm talking about maybe even a starting caliber guy. Uh, you look at guys in terms of, well, I start actually with a favorite of mine from UGA, Solomon Kenley. If you all seen my mock draft recently, I mocked him to us with the second round pick. I think that's right about where he'll go. His range has been from like late first to the third. So he's one of those prospects that's hard to gauge where he'll go. So for me personally, what I do with prospects like that, with a wide range of places they could go, I go right in the middle between them. And for me, that'll be like, you know, early second round, maybe mid second round. But again, going back to the Jaguars resume and track record with SEC linemen, uh, AJ can is a prime example of a guard they've taken for the SEC. Um, you know, I think he could be a, 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 a option there in Kenley. And not only that, Kenley is a Jacksonville guy. They probably have followed him since his days in high school when he was at Reigns High School. You know, it's just it, it feels like a perfect match, in my opinion. So we'll see. We know the Jacksonville Jaguars like to take offensive linemen in the second round, especially uh, there's been Cam Robinson, Jawan Taylor uh, to, to name a few. So 
that's an option that I believe that I would definitely like. I think a lot of fans would be okay with that as well because of his ties to Jacksonville. And then after that now, I do think they could get a guy, like I said, in the third or the fourth round, more so even the fourth round. And when you look at how, you know, these guys fared in the combine or whatever the case may be, that's caused their stock to drop drop a little bit in terms of some guards they could get there. Um, a name that's been thrown out there, uh, Logan Stenberg from Kentucky. He may be around in, in the early fourth, maybe, or, you know, at third at the best. Uh, he's a guy that was a mauler over there in Kentucky and, and did his thing there. But, you know, if I can recall, he didn't test all that well in terms of athleticism, if you will, at, at the combine. I don't quote me on that, but he's one of those guys that you see in his stock. He was originally like a third round guy and his stock is kind of like dropping as a result. So him and you, maybe you could get a guy like um, Tyler Bayadaz from um, Wisconsin. I hope I said his name right. He's another guy that people were high on in terms of a second first round pick. Now you're seeing him in that third round range. So it's a bunch of guys like that. Um, that the Jacksonville Jaguars could probably target at the guard position. And dare I say, I, I believe that, you know, some of these guys can come in and compete with A.J. Ken and maybe even take his spot at the right guard position. Um, Because, as I said, the left guard position is pretty much set with Andrew Norwell due to the cap figure that he's going to basically take up in 2020. Right. Definitely a lot of names to keep an eye on there. And Jay will be a very interesting thing to to uh kind of assess going into whenever training camp does happen uh, hopefully sooner rather than later given you know the current state of our nation and the entire world really but you know i, I think I, it's just strange because i feel like you know just offensive line is just something they've jacksonville has been trying to correct for so so long and you know like you said brandon linder of course has been has been solid and cam robinson has just kind of been a little bit all over the place and norwell hasn't really lived up to all that money that we gave him but you know, hopefully some kind of consistency will come to the Jaguars uh, in 2020 and 2021. But uh, that will be it for as far as the positional breakdown for offensive linemen. We're going to move on to the defense next here in the next couple of episodes. But, Jay, we're going to move on to our, our next topic here this week. And we kind of just wanted to do something fun. You know, we know a lot of you guys are sitting at home and just like we are, you know, quarantined and hopefully practicing social distancing when you can and staying in the house and, you know, doing what we can to flatten the curve uh, for to get all to get through this uh, pandemic. But we want to move on to a fun topic, and that is who do we think should be in enshrined? I guess is the word I'm looking for is uh, into the the uh, the pride of the Jaguars next. Now, the current members, of course, are Wayne and Dolores Weaver. Uh, Mark Brunel, Tony Baselli, Fred Taylor, and Jimmy Smith. So those are the current names that are in. And Jay, we just wanted to talk about some names that we feel like could be next. And then we're probably going to put this up on a Twitter poll and see if you guys uh, agree with us or who you think maybe should be in that maybe we didn't mention. Um, but Jay, I think we're going to start with uh, probably the most obvious choice as to who should go in next. And uh, I'll let you talk on them first. But that first guy being... Maurice Jones drew, uh, of course, a guy that brought a lot of eyes to the Jaguars when, you know, the team was really had, had really kind of fallen out of relevance for a little bit. Uh, it had been a while since we had a, you know, a big name guy that drew a lot of attention. I pretty really more so since, since we had Fred Taylor, I think uh, maybe I'm, I'm missing a couple of guys, but Maurice Jones drew, I feel like was our first ever 
superstar. You know, uh, Fred Taylor was was excellent, um, but I, it was just something about MJD. Maybe it was because he was just, you know, he was a smaller guy. He was a second round pick. That's why he wore number thirty two, of course, because every team in the NFL, including the Jaguars, passed up on him in the first round, and he ended up being just, you know, a an all-timer so jay why don't you speak on first what stands out to you most about maurice jones drew and and what do you remember about his tenure here with jacksonville yeah man every time people mention mjd the quote that always comes out in my mind is again uh the uh, one from coach harbaugh uh with the ravens that basically he said that mjd if i'm not mistaken it was him that said this about mjd uh, that he was a bowling ball full of butcher knives in the sense that nobody wants to tackle him He's just dangerous in, in terms of trying to tackle him. And, yeah, he's a guy like one of my favorite Jaguars of all time. I own two MJD jerseys. Uh, he was, you know what I'm saying? Like like you said, everybody passed on him on the first round, and he made that known, like all of the teams. That's why he wore the number 32, including the Jags. And he was a guy that I watched a lot of in M, uh, at, at UCLA. I watched a lot of him at high school. I think it was uh, De La Salle that he went to high school. And he was a guy like I was very high on, like before I really got into the draft. Like I, I wasn't a big dra- draft guru back then, but he was a guy that I, I like what I saw from him in terms of what he did at UCLA and Mercedes Lewis as well. They were both teammates there. And coincidentally, if I'm not mistaken, we got both of them the same year. So that being said, uh, he's a guy that he, he kind of represents Jacksonville in the sense that, uh, you know, People overlooked him, you know, and then nonetheless, he came out and proved him wrong, uh, accumulated a boatload of yards with the Jaguars. I, I forget the figure, Phil. I think you had him pulled up. Uh, was it 1,804 attempts, uh, just over 8,000 rushing yards, 68 touchdowns. I mean, he lived in the touchdown uh, in, in the red zone for crying out loud and uh, stayed in the opposition's end zone, if you will crying out loud he was a guy that did that in a time where the jacksonville jaguars weren't really winning a lot of games like you said so you know some people argue that his prime was wasted and you know that kind of hurt his legacy if you will uh but nonetheless make no mistake about it jaguars fans are very appreciative of what mjd did during his time with the jacksonville jaguars keeping them on the map despite their losing records and their losing ways and all of the debacles that we went through with Gene Smith and how horrible the, the talent was around him, man. He was he was that guy. Uh, he was the face of the Jaguars franchise for many, many years when Fred Taylor left. So for that reason, you know, he does he does without the shadow of a doubt deserve to be in the pride of the Jaguars. He still puts on for the city of Jacksonville on NFL Network, still visits occasionally or for interviews and this, that, and the other, you know, from, for his journalism reasons. And uh, he's a guy that, you know, on, on the NFL network, he's always saying positive things about him when it's not a lot of positive things to say about the Jaguars and others would say negative things about him. But he's that one guy that always says, Hey, you know, Gardner Minshew could be the quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Nick Foles could be that leader that the Jaguars needed. Of course it didn't work out. Uh, Hey, Leonard Fournette, could be that guy at running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hey, don't forget DJ Chark over there. Uh, because he plays in Jacksonville doesn't mean that this guy can't be a elite receiver one day. MJD is that guy in terms of being an ambassador for the Jags. And he did everything he could in his power while he was with the team to make them, uh, you know, a, a, a franchise that was somewhat in the limelight. 
Yeah, one of the, one of the great points you just made there, Jay, is just how how much of an ambassador he has continued to be for this team, even after he he left. You know, and that's just really great to see and hear him do. And um, you know, like you said, just went through some bad times with the Jags when we were, you know, and and you know, the argument can be made we're still kind of a little bit of a laughing stock, but even way way much more back then, much so back then at the beginning of the decade of twenty of the twenty tens. And, you know, you just kind of look at his numbers. And yeah, in 2011, of course, he had the rushing title, rushed for 1,600 yards um, and, uh, of course, was a first-team, uh, uh, first-time, or, or, I'm sorry, first-team All-Pro. Um, you know, he had these three straight seasons, Jay. Listen, the 2009, 2010, 2011, rushed for 1,391 yards, uh, 15 touchdowns, 1,324 yards, and five, touchda- uh, five touchdowns. And then the 1,600-yard season, with eight touchdowns. Jay, the year that he had 1,324 yards, he didn't, he missed two games and still, and still almost surpassed how many yards he had in 2009. That's just why he just, like you said, he, he was, he was a crossover guy as far as not being only popular here in Jacksonville, but also being popular in the mainstream media. And uh, I think I drew a lot of attention to Jacksonville for the right reasons as opposed to the wrong reasons. So I definitely think he is going to be a shoe in eventually. I'm wondering if they'll wait a little bit because they put in Fred Taylor um, a couple of years ago. And I don't know if they want to go, you know, running back. I think between Fred Taylor, I think after that it was Jimmy, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not 100% sure, Um, but they may want to put in somebody else. And well, that brings us to the next guy. And this is somebody who you and I, both agreed on as well as far as uh, a, a name that should go in. And that would be Rasheen Mathis. And uh, guys, Rasheen Mathis still holds a lot of, of records as far as the Jacks. He still has the most uh, career interceptions with 30, uh, the most interception return yards at 512. He is tied for the most offensive touchdowns in team history with three that is tied with Telvin Smith. And he also holds the record for most passes defended at 99. Um, but, you know, Jay, another guy, uh, a local guy, you know, went to Bethune Cookman and spent most of his career year, did finish up his career with the Detroit, uh, the Detroit Lions uh, with some varying success. But uh, this is another guy who found himself in pro, himself in Pro Bowls. I think another guy that also made uh, a little bit of a mainstream impact. Uh, he was a second round pick. Um, a lot, again, just like MJD, you know, a guy that was kind of overlooked a little bit. And another guy, Jay, who does a lot in this community and just a guy who is just beloved here in this community and uh, another um, for, for a multitude of reasons. So Jay, uh, as far as Rasheen math is one of, I love the, just thinking about all those times he intercepted the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Those are, <laughs> those are great memories. Uh, but you know, just like I said, just a guy that was a, a lot of fun to watch. And uh, unfortunately towards the end here, he did, you know, get injured, um, quite a bit, but we we just really loved seeing him here. So Jay, as far as Rasheen Mathis, you know what uh, what sticks out about him? Yeah, I was just about to say, man, he can go into the pride of the Jags alone for what he's done to the Pittsburgh Steelers and picking off Ben Roethlisberger countless times. Uh, it, it was like you know as bad as the Jags were during some of Rasheen Mathis's time in Jacksonville, and regardless as to how good the Steelers were. When they came to Jacksonville or Jacksonville went there, even when Jacksonville was bad, they just had big time issues with the Jaguars secondary, specifically Rasheem Mathis and their defense in general. Like the Jaguars defense could literally look like a number 25 defense throughout the rest of the year. And then when they got to the Steelers, 
Rasheem Mathis, the rest of the guys turn up on him. And Rasheem Mathis have like these two pick games or he'll have a, a game where he got a pick on Roethlisberger and took it back to the house or whatever the case may be. J- just that alone, man, like Roethlisberger probably till this day has nightmares about Rasheem Mathis picking him off because like that was just like his kryptonite. Um, and, and like you said, man, local guy went to Bethune Cookman, um, you know, drafted as a safety. He was one of those guys that was one of the leaders in the locker room for many, many years. Uh, you know, just kind of like Maurice Jones drew uh, throughout the hard times and, you know, kept the locker room from what we gather, kept the locker room grounded and made sure, you know, that he led by example with this, that and others. So, you know, I personally had him, I think it was number eight on my um, top Jaguars of all times list. Uh, he probably could have been at seven or even higher. Uh, but nonetheless, he is a guy, especially due to his ties to the city of Jacksonville, uh, that should be put into the pride, uh, the pride of the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, sooner rather than later. I guess ultimately time will tell like if they do it or how long it'll take for them to do it. But even aside from what he means to Jacksonville, what he did as a, a player to the organization, uh, as a player for the organization for many, many years at that, you know, I think that speaks volumes about Rasheem Mathis as a player. Yeah, Rasheen, I think this is a guy, as far as Rasheen, that will be in sooner rather than later. I think he could he will probably go in before MJD, uh, just based off of you know when he when he joined the team, which was back in 2003. So and also just like you mentioned, because of the local ties and everything he's doing here. Uh, for the community. So, um, you know, finished the career, like, as I mentioned with the Detroit lions, but uh, everybody will of course remember him uh, as a Jacksonville Jaguar. So moving on to our last choice here and Jay, we have something a little bit, uh, uh, this may be a little bit controversial, but uh, the, the, the basis of this pick was thinking that they could go in as a duo. So Jay, why don't you tell people who our last pick is for who we think may go into the, the pride of the Jaguars. So, yeah, the two or the duo that, that you spoke of is, and I'm sure most people put it together because, well, it, it couldn't be thunder and lightning because Jimmy is obviously already in the pride, but the duo we are speaking of was a duo on the defensive side. That was Marcus Stroud and John Henderson, who, you know, they held it down in the middle for the Jaguars for many, many years. Uh, although, you know, Henderson ultimately stuck around longer than Stroud did. Uh, but, Make no mistake about it, even with Henderson going to the Raiders and Stroud going to, I think he played for the Bills, and he may have played for the Patriots for a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that. But even with them leaving Jacksonville temporarily, people will always know them as Jacksonville Jaguars, point blank, period. Uh, Stroud had his way with people in his prime in terms of uh, offensive linemen. And then you got Henderson who was more of your your tower guy, your guy that dealt with the double teams that kind of did your dirty work for you. We all know him, of course, from the infamous video of Slap Me Joe video that is going viral and still is a big thing in Jags Twitter and just the NFL in general where the trainer just decks him in the face. And that's how he used to get amped up, man. Like John Henderson was just, in terms of a, a, a player, he was probably the most imposing player in Jags history, especially when you look at that video. I mean, even more imposing than I would say, dare I say, Calais Campbell, because 
Calais was always a gentle giant off the field, but Henderson just gives you that vibe that he'll take a whole locker and throw it across across the locker room if, if things ain't going his way in terms of a, a game or what have you. So he was a guy, if I can recall, three consecutive Pro Bowls from like 2003 to 2005. Uh, again, a guy that under the Jack Del Rio era, uh, while the results weren't necessarily satisfactory, he was a guy that, you know, put the city on. And he was always that guy that, you know, when you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, you think of him, you think of Stroud or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I think he accumulated, what, 274 tackles, 22 career sacks, uh, 43 tackles for loss. So he lived in the backfield, basically, when you look at his statistics that I'm, I'm pulling up right now. And, I mean, just a terrorizing figure, man. So those two together, I think they deserve to go in there together because it would just feel awkward to put one in there without the other. But a lot of the work they did while with the Jacksonville Jaguars, a lot of their work in their primes, at least, uh, and a lot of those memories come when those two were like the twin towers for the Jaguars defense. Yeah, two guys, as we mentioned, just like with Jimmy and Keenan, that are going to be forever tied together. And I'm honestly kind of surprised they wouldn't go that route as well as far as putting both Jimmy and and, and Keenan in at the same time. You know, so we'll see in, in due time. But I, I do like this idea of them going in as a duo. But, you know, just all, for one, it would save a little bit of space, I think, as we mentioned. But also, uh, just like you said, they were just such an intimidating force. I mean, really kind of the like the, the really the backbone and the heart of the teal curtain, right? And they were just, um, you know, like you said, so imposing and you just always felt good about at least as far as up the middle, you, you didn't really have to worry about much else. You know, the, some of the rest of the team might've been a complete mess, but at least we had the middle of the line, sh- you know, shut down. And uh, I just kind of enjoyed watching them play so much and their intensity. And like you said, that infamous video of John Henderson, man, that, that goes down in, in, in just uh, in, in tough guy history. You know, you know what I mean? So I could definitely see those two going in. If they don't go in as a duo, I think they'll definitely be in individually and they then deservedly. So uh, as you mentioned, you know, Pro Bowls, a bunch of those in between the two of them and consistency. You know what I mean? So, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, Marcus Stroud, he did finish his career with Buffalo and John Henderson did eventually go out to Oakland as well. But just like the other two guys that we mentioned will be forever tied to the Jaguars. So, you know, that's just a fun topic. Jay and I wanted to talk about, we have a couple that we have in our back pocket to save, you know, who knows how long uh, this lockdown is going to, uh, is going to last, but uh, we do have a lot of fun topics that we're going to talk about down the line here, Jay. Um, But of course, you know, we have the NFL draft coming up in a couple of weeks. So, you know, before we close out, uh, what, what are some things we can look forward to and, and maybe something fun that we might do for the NFL draft as far as the, you know, the Believe team here between you and me and also the Jaguars wire team? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talked about maybe getting, a, um, you know, a, a Zoom draft uh, thing going for maybe the Jaguars wire or maybe even doing it for just like Jags Twitter where we uh, reach out to some guys on Jags Twitter um, because, you know, some of those guys have been supporting us. Uh, so, you know, uh, Stay tuned for that. We'll look into it, see how that goes. I mean, like, obviously, we all going to be home for for the draft. You know, this isn't one that we're going to be away for. No bars and none of that to go to. So why not enjoy it together, you know, as Jags fans, perhaps, or as Jags journalists, however you want to put it. So we'll we'll look into that. Um, and, of course, it'll be more draft content heavy. Going to look into the Jags needs and 
you know, like rank prospects that each of the Jags needs on the Jags wire. I know that's one of the things I'm going to be doing. Daniel's going to be doing plenty of draft work. He'll probably pump out a few more scouting reports. He's been doing the um the series of players that Jags should take with each of their individual picks. Feel free to check that out. Uh, he's done pick number nine. Uh, and looked at three players for pick number 20 as well. We'll move into the second round this week. And we might do the third and the fourth round. We'll do the important rounds, uh, so to speak. So stay tuned for that as well. So plenty of content coming up. Of course, you can uh, find us at our email, believe in the Jags at Gmail. If you want any questions that you want, uh, perhaps um, me and Phil to address on the show. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Absolutely, guys. Well, let us know what you think. As as I mentioned, we're going to be putting up these names on a Twitter poll and just let us know, you know, who you think out of these four names that we listed uh, that you'd like to see go in next or even mention a guy that we, you know, forgot or didn't get to mention here. We just kind of wanted to keep it to a shorter list. So, uh, yeah, you know, we love interacting with you guys. So get at us on Twitter. I believe uh, believe in the Jags. And uh, you can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay over at Sports Grind underscore Don. So that's it for this week, Jay. Uh, you know, a quick to the point episode, but still, again, as I mentioned, still a lot of fun and hopefully will open up a lot of interaction and conversation between us and the listeners. Again, if you like the show, please, again, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us that five-star review and give us, uh, you know, a reason as to why you're enjoying the content. And uh, also, you can find us at Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, and of course at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. That's it for this week. Thank you guys again so much for joining us on the Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals. We certainly believe... Do you? We will see you next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.